evening, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to 1 Timothy. As we continue our series tonight, just remain standing and we will read together the text from 1 Timothy beginning at chapter 12. Because if you've been with us, you'll remember that Paul has been instructing his young protege, Timothy, on how to pastor the church at Ephesus. Um, A difficult church and a difficult calling. Uh, And yet Paul has been equipping uh, his young son in the faith and he encourages him in these opening verses to stand up and stand strong against false teaching, to not be cowardly in the face of false doctrine and false teachers, uh, despite that difficulty. And now tonight, as we drop down to verse 12, we're going to see that Paul is going to give him some more encouragement in the way of his own personal testimony of what God has done for him. And if you're here tonight, and you are saved by the blood of Jesus, you have a testimony. And I encourage you to share that testimony with everybody that will listen because no one can argue what God has done in your life. They may debate the Scriptures. They may argue doctrine and denominations, but they can't argue a changed life. And so never forget that God has given you a testimony that doesn't replace Scripture, but it can certainly be a powerful tool that God will use as Paul encourages Timothy tonight. So let's read together, beginning at verse 12. It says, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost or the chief. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who who believe in him for eternal life. To the King of Ages... Immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we once again bow humbly before you and thank you that you would look down upon sinners and have mercy, that you yourself would become a man, and that you would walk this earth in obedience to the Father, enduring the shame and the suffering willingly, and going to that cross and laying down your life, and three days later, taking it back up again. Father, that is why we're here tonight. Without the resurrection of Christ, our faith is in vain, our preaching is in vain, we're still in our sins. But glory be to God, through the sacrifice of Christ and by our faith in Him, we have been born again to a living hope. We no longer are children of this world. We have a promise of life in the next. So God, may we live up to that calling and that standard that You have have given us. May we be found faithful until You call us home. Lord, help us tonight to lay aside our burdens, our cares, to confess and repent of our sins, to reconcile with our brothers and sisters, and to leave here challenged and changed by the Word of God that is living and powerful. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you tonight and ask you to have your way in this service and in our lives. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated tonight. A man by the name of George Santayana, who was a philosopher and writer, and among other things, said this. He said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And I think that sometimes it's good for us as believers to remember where God found us and where we have been brought from. Not to glory 
in who we were and not to rejoice in the sinful things that took place before we knew Christ, but to raise up in us a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving that as John Newton said, I'm not who I want to be, I'm not where I ought to be, but praise God I'm not who I was. And I'm thankful tonight that God has changed me and is still changing me. And I'm thankful that when I fall short of His glory, which is quite often, His grace is sufficient because of faith in Him alone. His finished work is the only thing I can boast of. And that work that He did perfectly on the cross, not just for me, but for you as well. And so when we look at our text tonight, as I said, Paul has been talking to his son in the faith. Uh, Timothy was saved under Paul's ministry, most likely in his first missionary journey in the city of Lystra. And so Paul has been mentoring him and raising him up. And we saw as we looked at Timothy's life that uh, he's a bit timid. He is uh, maybe a sickly young man in his 30s. Uh, he has, you know, some, some problems standing up sometime, maybe some issues where he's not so confident. And so just as we remember Thomas, the apostle, as doubting Thomas, we might remember Timothy as timid Timothy, if that helps you to remember a little bit about his life. And so uh, God calls us, church, and places us in positions that we can't do in our own strength. Amen? Have you ever experienced that? When you step out and decide to serve God... He is going to put you in places where you have to depend on Him. So just be prepared for that. Don't let that stop you because He's going to put you in places and He's going to provide for you and empower you in those places. But He is going to put you in places where you are going to have to completely depend on Him. And so timid Timothy is given a very difficult task of pastoring a church in Ephesus that was nowhere near perfect. You know why? Because there are no perfect churches, including K. Russo. So if you've came here tonight trying to find a perfect church, I apologize in advance. This isn't it. And there's none out there. So settle in here. I hope you feel welcome because we're sinners saved by grace, striving to serve and follow Christ as best we can by His Word. And that is what God calls us to do. And so Timothy is pastoring in Ephesus, a difficult church. Obviously, we see there are false teachers there, as there are false teachers in the world today and everywhere around us. Uh, And so Timothy is encouraged to stand up against them. And he's reminded by Paul that his call came from God himself. And that's a comforting thing. Because we don't stand as pastors in the pulpit in our own strength. Or at least we shouldn't be. We should be standing because the call has come from God on our lives with a specific duty and empowering to carry out the work that God has given us to do. And so he encourages Timothy to stand on the authority not only of the call, but on the word of God, which was entrusted to God's people to deliver and change us because faith does come by hearing and hearing by that word. And so we look to that perfect good news tonight to change our hearts because it only can. And I look at what Paul says in verse 12 as he begins. And as he's sharing his testimony and calling to remembrance what God has done for him, he begins by thanking God. I thank him, he says, who has given me strength. It was G.K. Chesterton who was a, another theologian and writer. He said... Uh, You can take things for granted, or you can take them with gratitude. And I think a lot of times we are guilty of the first. We take things for granted. We forget what God has done for us. We let troubles overwhelm us. We let the world persuade us. We let so many things interfere with our life 
that by the time Saturday or Sunday rolls around, we are so overwhelmed that we come in here so wore out we can't worship. We can't worship. Listen, I am convinced that it's not so much the style of the music, it's not the version of the Bible, it's not the denomination of the church, it is that our hearts are so full of stuff that there's not enough room for Jesus. If we come in here empty, I am convinced that the style of the music, the version of the Bible, or the denomination of the church won't be so high on the priority list. You'll just want to get to the feet of Christ and worship. But we come in here so exhausted. I got one amen, thank you. We come in here so tired and so exhausted and so worried and so fearful and so overwhelmed that we cannot give God ourselves as living sacrifices. And Paul says, listen, before I say anything more, I want you to know I'm thankful. I am thankful for what God has done for me. Because, listen, I understand that all of us have struggles and trials and tribulations, and some of yours are way worse than anything I've ever faced. And so I'm not, I'm not demeaning anything that you're going through or have been through. But if you know Christ tonight, He took the worst thing away that you will ever face. And that is eternal punishment in hell. Amen. Give Him praise. He has, he has saved your soul. He has given you that blessed assurance. That's not just a nice old hymn to sing. That's a biblical truth. When you know Christ, your eternity is fixed. It's settled. Because Jesus paid the debt that you and I couldn't. And our future is secure. And so that is good news and we take that for granted we forget just the price that Christ paid for us and just how unworthy we are of such a gift. And don't ever forget to give God thanks in all things, for this is the will of God concerning you, is what the Scriptures say. And so Paul begins and says, I want to thank Him who gave me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful and appointed me to His service, or the King James uses the word ministry, the word in the Greek there for service or ministry is diakonia. And you say, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, it means to serve or to minister. But the noun version of that word is diakonos. Does that sound like anything? Deacon. It's where we get the idea of deacon. A deacon is a servant in the church. The word diakonos literally means someone that kicks up dust behind them. So picture someone so active in serving that literally there's little clouds of dust coming as they run back and forth, right? So if, if you're not a good runner, that doesn't disqualify you from being a deacon. That's not one of the qualifications. But serving the Lord in His church is absolutely. And so Paul says that, you know, I'm thankful that He's called me into this ministry, into this service, not as a deacon in His case, but just to serve, to be active, to minister to the needs of the body. Because God calls and equips all of His people. All of them. If you're saved... God has called you and equipped you to some portion of service. There's no escaping that. And one of my favorite scriptures is Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. Uh, and I, I come back to this so often in, in my call on my life as a pastor, what my duty is when I, when I get overwhelmed about trying to figure out where God wants to go and what He wants to do and what program we're going to start next and what thing we're going to do. I always come back to these verses because they remind me what the real purpose for me is uh, as the shepherd of the church. It says in Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 11, And he, 
That's God. So God gave or he entrusted would be another way of saying this. He entrusted some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds or overseers, pastors, bishops, same word, same meaning, and teachers. For what reason? Why did, he, why did he give certain people the gift of being prophets and apostles and evangelists and shepherds and teachers? The reason is to equip the saints. That's not a bunch of special people that have been reverenced by the Catholic Church that we pray to. Saints are literally called out ones. So when you were saved, you were called out. That means tonight if you are saved by the blood of Jesus, you are a saint. Your life might not always look saintly, but you're a saint not because of your efforts, but because of who you are in Christ. And so He makes you holy because He is holy, holy, holy like we sang. And so it is His blood that makes us holy. It is His blood that makes us saints. Now we strive in our life to live up to that calling, no doubt through the power of the Spirit. But nonetheless, on your worst day, you're still holy and you're still a saint because it is the righteousness of Christ in your place that makes you so, not your own effort and works. Don't ever forget that. And so he says, I give you this call to equip the saints. Why are, why are pastors called to equip you? To get you ready and prepared? For what purpose? The work of the ministry. Diakonia. The same thing that Paul said he was called into doing. Serving. You're called. I'm equipping you as a pastor to work for the Lord Jesus Christ in his local church. Wherever that is that you ultimately settle in. Why? For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Listen to what he says. So that we may no longer be children. So that's not just talking about your age physically. He's saying grow up spiritually. You shouldn't have been saved for 40 years and still be a baby. You need to be progressing and growing in your faith, not just learning things in your mind, although that's part of it, but applying those things in your life practically. He says, growing up so that you're no longer children and you're not tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. We have so many people today that believe anything that a guy in a suit and tie on television tells them true to be true. They believe it. Don't do that. Compare it to the Word of God. Study, pray, examine, discern. We have lost those skills and that's why so many people are deceived. Don't listen to me because I'm just standing up here and it says pastor in front of my name. Open up the book and read it and see if what is being expounded to you lines up with the Scriptures. Please, please, if you never come back to this church, carry that lesson with you everywhere you go. Make sure that it lines up with the Word of God. He says, you shouldn't be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head. So Christ is the head of the church, uh, from whom the whole body, that's all us as believers, are joined together with him. So we're part of the church because we're part of Christ, is what he's saying. And, and as we're equipped, we work together, it makes the body grow and it builds itself up in love. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture as we find our gift, find our calling, serve Jesus. I as pastor try to help you to learn what that gift is and how to use it effectively. And together we work side by side, unified in love for the glory of God. That's what a beautiful church looks like. It's not big numbers. 
It's not hundreds of baptisms a week. It's not any of that. It's a church that's founded on the Word of God that operates in love and unity. And the Lord will build His church. That's the title of this series, right? The Lord is building His church one believer at a time as the body grows up. So Paul is thankful. I'm thankful. I hope you're thankful for what God has done in your life. He says in 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. There's no boasting. I am what I am by the grace of God, he says. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, any of the other apostles, he says, though it was not I, but the grace of God that's with me. He said, everything that I've done, all the labors that I've partaken in, I don't get any credit for that. It's been God in my life. I hope you can say that tonight. That everything that you've experienced in the kingdom and in the work of the church has been through and by the grace of God. You wouldn't be here tonight. I can guarantee you that if you weren't saved, you'd find something better to do on Saturday night than sit in here and listen to me. It is because that you have a love for Christ and a desire to grow in His Word and to fellowship with the saints that you take time to come and worship. And we shouldn't take that for granted because there's brothers and sisters across the world that don't have this privilege or they'll die for attempting to do so, right? And so Paul in verse 13 he starts to look back at his past. He says all the things that he used to be. And isn't it interesting that Paul had a past? The great apostle had a past. So did I. And so did you. Right? We all have a past. The enemy uses shame and guilt to keep people stuck where they are. Because when we come in here, I've heard people say all the time, I'd come to church, but the walls would fall in. You ever heard that? That's because they picture a bunch of good, perfect people in the church, and a sinner like them, dirty and unclean, would come in here and corrupt this perfect place. I got news for them. Right? We're all dirty were it not for the blood of Jesus. Right? And so we need to get that message out to people. Yes, you're a sinner. So am I. Yes, we don't condone that lifestyle or what you're doing any more than I would condone it in myself. But the blood of Jesus can forgive you and it can change you. And so Paul says, here's who I used to be. I have a past. Not proud of it, but here it is. But then look what he says uh, in the second half of verse 13. He says, I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed to me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I'm so glad that God gives mercy and grace to sinners with a past. Right? Because when we come to church and we come uh, before Christ with all of our mess and all of our sin, we feel like He is just ready to hammer us with judgment. And instead we get mercy and grace. Those are two beautiful words in Scripture. And we get them so confused. And again, we take those for granted a lot. We're not as grateful for those things as we ought to be. But here's, here's the best definition I can give you of those two words. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. As a sinner, we deserve judgment and we deserve punishment. God withholds that. That's mercy. Grace is God giving us things that we don't deserve. Mercy withholds what we do deserve. Grace gives what we don't. So grace is God's favor, right? 
He gives us forgiveness of sin through his son. He gives us eternal life. He gives us the blessings uh, of his children. That's grace. I love, I, I use this all the time, but Max Lucado said, and it's a great illustration of mercy and grace. He said, mercy gave the prodigal son a second chance. He didn't deserve that, but mercy gave him what he didn't deserve. Mercy gave the prodigal son a second chance. Grace gave him a feast. He got what he didn't deserve, and it was withheld from him what he did deserve. Mercy and grace. And then we come to verse 15 where Paul just kind of ties all this in together. He says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I'll never forget when a 22-year-old man who was miserable and as lost as you could be, bounced from job to job, grew up in a Catholic home, and by this time was an agnostic, and went to this job and was absolutely miserable, and just couldn't wait to find something better and get on with life. And one day he met a maintenance man who started to talk to him about Jesus. He started to share with him the Scriptures. And one day this man asked this young man, he said, if you died tonight, where would you go? And this young man said, I would go to heaven. Without a doubt, I would go to heaven. He said, why? He said, because I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And this maintenance man said, what if I told you that being a good person won't get you to heaven? And this 22-year-old, arrogant, proud young man who was me said, I'm going to prove you wrong. I will make it. And so he said, well, why don't you get a Bible and read for yourself? He said, would you do that? And I said, yes, I will. So I went home and asked mom for a Bible. And she had one and she gave it to me. And I began reading the Gospel of John with the sole purpose of proving this guy wrong. And as I read that book, that Gospel, God convicted me more and more that I was lost. And I'll never forget that those conversations that we had about how I was right and how he was wrong started to turn into me asking questions, wanting to know more about Christ and more about this salvation. And so it finally came to a head where we were living in a little apartment behind United Dairy Farmers on Brookwood Avenue, me and my fiance. And I came home from work, and I got down on my living room floor with that Bible, and I was reading, and I was crying, <clears throat> and I was convicted. And I just asked God, I said, listen, I don't know much about any of this stuff, but I'm lost. And if you would forgive me and save me, I will give my life to you. And it was in that moment where a burden just rolled off my back. I can't describe to you the feeling, but the burden rolled off my back. And I'll never forget, there was a big window in our bedroom, and it faced Brookwood Avenue, and there was a big tree outside of the apartment. And I went in there and was looking out the window, and there were two small children playing around that tree. And it just seemed like everything. You ever get glasses for the first time when you can't see good? And everything is just so clear? It looked like that when I was looking out the window. Everything was just so crisp. The tree, the birds, the kids, the grass. It was like everything, like my eyes had been washed. And I felt God speak. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I felt him speak. And he said, you see those children, how pure and innocent they are. He said, that is how you are now in my sight. 
And I just knew at that moment that God had done something. And so when my fiancé came home, I told her what had happened. I said, listen, I don't understand much about um, what I'm supposed to do now. I said, but I know what we're doing here is wrong. We can't live together. I said, either we need to get married or I have to go back home until we're ready. And so she had grown up a believer and had strayed away from the Lord. And so we determined to get married, which we did the following week. Uh, we were already engaged, so we went ahead and got married and uh, joined the church, got baptized together. And that was the beginning of my walk with the Lord and my salvation. And then look at verse 16, what Paul says. He said, I received this mercy and this grace. God saved me for this reason. That in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience and as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. What's he saying there? He says basically that God saved Paul to be an example to other people. Uh, it's basically God saying, uh, Paul is saying that God, he, he's making me a, a showpiece now. He saved me and he's put me on display. And so after I got saved, I couldn't get enough of God's Word. Uh, I mean, I just I would come home, eat, see my wife for a few minutes, and then go in my study for hours. And, and I just couldn't get enough. I couldn't get enough of it. I, amen. She's, hey, my wife spoke in church. How about that? How about that? Man, praise God. And so... I couldn't get enough of it, and I would study and study and study the Word of God. Um, and, and, and God blessed us in many other ways. Uh, he, he provided a, a much better job for me during that time. We purchased not just our first house, but another house after that one as we grew and our daughter was born. And so a lot of things were happening, a lot of good things were happening in our life. And I always tell you that, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with money and material things until they become your God. And so as we started to get bigger houses, nicer cars, more stuff, more hours to work, more money to be made, the study of the Scriptures became secondary and church became secondary, and I began to drift from my first love. And I knew during that time that God was calling me to preach. I would sit down and write out sermons all the time, but I never surrendered, I never took it seriously. Uh, and I'll never forget, it was 2004, I came home from work after working a long day, I ate dinner and went upstairs, and I started to have some real bad pain in my stomach. It wasn't just bad food. I'd had this pain before. When I was 18, I had to have emergency surgery and had part of my small intestine removed from Crohn's disease. And so now here I am, um, what, 20, 24 years old? And I knew this pain, I knew what it was, but you know, guys, we don't like the doctor, do we? And so we just think, if I sit here long enough, it'll get better. It didn't get better, it got worse. So I told my wife, I said, I think we better go to the hospital. Let's pack up my daughter. We lived in Trenton, so we're on the way to the hospital. We make it to Seven Mile where her grandma lives, and I said, you're going to have to uh, just let me out here and call an ambulance. I can't even sit in this car. So I basically roll out of the car. And they call the ambulance, bring me to Fort Hamilton. They're checking me all over, and they find out that I have scar tissue from that first surgery, and it's cut off the flow of my intestine. So they say, we're going to have to go in, remove more intestine, get you fixed up, connected back together, and you'll be good to go. And so they did the surgery. I was in the hospital about 10 days, and I came home. And 
you know, you would think going through all that stuff, it'd be a wake-up call, and you would start to say, wait a minute now, I need to reprioritize things. It didn't. I was worried about getting back to work and getting disability started and how are we going to pay for this and how are we going to do that. All the cares of the world took over because I took God for granted. And maybe you are tonight. You just assume He's always there. We know He's always there. He's not going anywhere. His grace, His mercy, it's there for us when we need it like a spare tire. It's in the trunk. We don't want to have to use it, but we're glad it's there if we need it. That's how we treat God, right? And so um, I was home three days, and she decided to go back to work. She said, stay on the couch. Don't go upstairs. You stay here, watch television, and rest. I said, perfect. That's what I'll do. As soon as she left, I said, I'm going to go upstairs and lay in my bed because this couch is uncomfortable. And so I went upstairs to lay down, and I just felt this overwhelming voice, not again, not audible, but just the Holy Spirit speaking to me, do not lay down, go downstairs, open the door, and wait. And I thought, this is nuts. I just came upstairs. I'm tired. I want to lay down. I'm not going back downstairs. So I argued with God. That never works very good. He finally convinced me to go downstairs and open the door. I don't know how I got downstairs. I don't know how I opened the door. I don't know how I had the land phone. Guys, we used to have land phones. Remember them? <laughs> Way back when? I had that somehow. don't know how I got it. But I'm laying on the floor saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And she kept saying, hang on. They're on their way. They're on their way. I saw the sheriff walking up to the front door, and that's the last thing I remember. So, mind you, my wife works at Fort Hamilton. So, there's a call. Loretta worked at Fort Hamilton. Rosie worked at Fort Hamilton. Do you see how God prepares things before um, it ever happens? <clears throat> and so, uh, they call ahead, young man, 24 years old, coded. They were doing CPR on me for 12 minutes, couldn't get anything. Bring me to Fort Hamilton. They come in the room. Who does she see? Her husband. Who does Rosie see? This guy. Right? Loretta wasn't in that department, but I know you were praying that. I don't even know if you were at Fort... Were you still at Fort then? You were still at Fort... I thought you were. Night shift. That's... Okay, well, that's terrible. <laughs> we don't like night shift anymore. But anyway, they, they start doing all this stuff, blood thinners, all the stuff that, that they need to try to do to get me. My, my pulse is through the roof. My blood pressure is bottomed out. All this stuff. And they basically start telling her, look, he's probably not going to make it. If he does, he's going to be a vegetable. He went without oxygen and all that stuff. So they call UC Hospital. Can you take this guy? We can't, we can't take care of him long term like need to be. They said, don't bother. There's a storm blowing in. We can't air care. He's not going to make it. Sorry. Call Miami Valley. Same story. Finally, after somewhat being stabilized for an hour, I guess, or so, they decided to send me up to Miami Valley, but they can't fly me. So they drive me up there in the ambulance, pouring down rain, up 75, can't see a thing. I don't know any of this stuff. I'm unconscious, but this is all stuff I learned later, right? The caravan's going up. My pastor's behind praying. The family's behind praying. My co-workers are praying. Fort Hamilton Hospital's praying. People everywhere are praying. People that I don't know to this day are praying. I get to Miami Valley, and they basically tell her the same thing. He's not going to make it. Just get things in order. If he does, you're going to put him in a, in a home you know, and she said, nope, he's, I don't care. He's coming home with me. If i got to take care of him, I'm going to take care of him. You find out in those moments what true love is, church. For somebody, when you, when you say, for better or for worse, and sickness and in health, you can mouth those words, but when rubber meets the road, you find out if that's real. And she was willing to do that, and I thank God for her every day. But um, so 
basically, you know, every day up there at Miami Valley, these doctors, I had neurologists, pulmonologists, I mean, you name it, cardiologists coming in. And every day, they're, they're, I'm looking back at their reports, and they're kind of amazed at how things are getting better every day. You know, every day I'm improving a little bit. I was in ICU, strapped down for three days, tubes down my throat eventually. Obviously got those out and got off that stuff. Um, but it was just an amazing thing. I lost my vision for three days. I couldn't see anything. I just saw, like, red spots. I don't know if I had swelling on the brain or what happened. But, I mean, all kinds of things happened during this stay at the hospital. And, I mean, my life was just completely, uh, you know, turned upside down. And so, again, I was up there for almost two weeks, finally got released, a miracle, no, no brain damage. I mean, it probably is some, right? <laughs> but, but they didn't detect enough, okay? So we're good. And so um, I get out and come home. And, and, again, you would think that that would be a wake-up call. No. Still just worried about getting back to work and doing things that I needed to do to get my family back together and whatnot. And... God has a way of making it clear to even dummies what he wants, right? And so I knew he'd been calling me for a long time. And I was sitting there in, on that old couch that I hated because I wasn't allowed to go upstairs. And I, was, I wasn't going to do it this time. I listened, finally. And so there sat my Bible that hadn't been opened in a long time. And I felt like, you know, for whatever reason, God really got a hold of me that morning and... and, and he spoke to me. You know, so many people want to hear a voice. If God would just speak to me, if He would just speak to me, when you open this book, God speaks to you. If we would just understand that this is God's Word and He's speaking. And I'll never forget it to this day how clear it was that when God called me into the ministry and I finally surrendered. He took me to Psalm 119, verse 67. David writes in that Psalm, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I have kept your word. And I said, okay, that's clear as day. Before all this mess happened in my life, before all this sickness came, I definitely had went astray. And I need to get serious. I need to start listening and obeying. I got you on that, God. So then, then he next took me to John chapter 4, the death of Lazarus, right? And Mary and Martha are distraught. Everybody's upset what's going on here. And in verse 4 of John 11... Jesus says, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that God may be glorified thereby. Again, I said, I got you, clear as day. My sickness, I should have died. I shouldn't be here. But I'm here to bring God glory. How can I do that? Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now I've kept your word. I'm listening, God. I'm here to bring you glory. What am I supposed to do? Mark chapter 5. He took me to where the demonic man was in the tombs, crazy, cutting himself, breaking the chains. You know that story? All the demons were in there, cast him into the swine. And it says about verse 19 or 20 that this man is clothed and seated in his right mind. Right? And Jesus comes up to him. And you know what the man said to Jesus? He said, I want to go with you. He said, wherever you go, Jesus, I want to go with you. And you know what Jesus told him? He said, no. He said, go back to your hometown and tell everybody that you can about the good things that God has done for you. And it was through those three passages of Scripture that I recognized finally that I was not my own, I'd been bought with a price, that God saved my life to serve Him. 
and that God called me to be a pastor. Listen, ministry is hard. And you face things and go through things that are very difficult. And I'm not proud to say it, but I think if, you're, if I'm honest with you, I have a lot of pastor friends, and we talk pastor to pastor a lot of times, and I've never met a pastor that hasn't said the same thing. There's days when you want to quit. There's times when you just can't do it anymore. And the only way you keep going is because God has called you. I'm not saying that every pastor that drops out of the ministry dropped out because he wasn't called, but I think a lot of them do because they never really had God's call in their life. And the reason why I still press on is because I have no doubt in my life on that day for sure that God called me. And I'm telling you, church, that God's calling you today too. Maybe not as a dramatic story as that. I surrendered. I went to my pastor. On November 7, 2004, I preached my first sermon. And God's used me ever since. I did evangelism. I've been a youth pastor, associate pastor, senior pastor, Sunday school teacher. I just wanted to serve God in whatever capacity I could with my gifts that God had given me. And He's given you gifts. He's given you the ability to serve Him. And trust me, you can run. You can run. Jonah ran. Lots of folks have ran, but I've never read a story yet where anybody outran God. Never. Never. And so I want you to see verse 17 as we close. It's almost like as Paul gives his testimony, he comes to verse 17 and he has to just kind of explode into song. He's so grateful for what God has done. He says, To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He comes to that point where he just has to give praise out of a heart of gratitude. The message tonight was what salvation's done for me. There's a song by a group called the Booth Brothers of that very title. It's a song that's very special to me. If I was a songwriter, I would like to think I'd write a song like this. I want to sing it to you before we close tonight. So, Chad, if you've got that ready.